Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. All right, so we are continuing in our series on Hebrews. And um, last week, David taught from Hebrews Chapter 11, which is famously called the Hall of Faith, we're going to continue into Hebrews 12 today. And in a lot of ways, this is kind of like the beginning. I take up a lot of space on the stage. I wander, so i got to move stuff out of my way. Um, This is kind of like the beginning of the end of our series. When we put together a sermon, um, you've probably heard us refer to um, sort of wrapping it up in a way that we we call it landing the plane. So the author of Hebrews, as he writes this letter, which is really a sermon in itself, he's landing the plane, uh, in starting to land the plane in chapter 12. He's kind of starting the final descent. And the interesting thing is we're going to arrive back right at the same airport that we took off from. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into the material for today. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for what you are doing in this place this morning. We recognize that you are at work this morning, that you are uh, showing us your grace and your mercy. We know that you're up to something. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help all of us. Lord, fill us with your spirit, that I may speak your words and that we may hear your words. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You ready? This is exciting. So the title for today's sermon is The Unshakable Kingdom. And it's interesting because that's the title, but we're actually not going to talk about that too much until the end. But it remains the title because all throughout the variety of points that we're going to hit this morning, that unshakable kingdom is going to be the motivation, the goal, kind of the prize on which we fix our eyes as we go through the other points that we're going to cover in Hebrews 12. And more specifically, it's not just the unshakable kingdom, but it's the king of that kingdom. The other thing that's interesting about this title, and probably I'm trying to find the people who are noticing this, how many people are like struggling with the spelling of that word, right? Like, doesn't that look wrong? So... (laughs) Sarah Failer and I had a really interesting email discussion this week about the spelling of that word. And what we learned is that you can spell it with an E, but it means something different. I didn't know that. So we, we settled on this, even though it looks weird to me too. But if, here's the thing. If you put an E in that word, it means not able to be shaken, firm, solid, resolute, which sounds like a great definition. But if you take the E out... It means cannot be shaken or moved, unfaltering and unwavering, which sounded to me, they're very similar, but that second one without the E, even though it looks weird, sounds more to me like the kingdom of God. So that's what we're going to go with. The passage today is Hebrews 12. So if you want to follow along, we're going to start right along, right away in verse 1. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 starts with this, therefore... And that's all the farther we're going to get for right now. Therefore. Now, you've probably heard it said that when you see a therefore, 
you have to go back and look to see what it's there for. And what this one is there for is to draw our minds back to Hebrews 11, what David just taught last week, the hall of faith. And when David taught that message last week, he referred at a little greater length to Abram and to Moses. But in that hall of faith are also the following people. There was Enoch, who by faith pleased God and was taken to heaven without dying. There was Noah, who by faith believed when God told him that something was going to happen that had never happened before in the history of the world. Something that we experience a lot in Western Pennsylvania, which is rain. There was Sarah, who by faith believed that God promised her a child and that she would have a child even though she was old and her husband was older. In fact, we found out last week that he was so old that the author of Hebrews says he was as good as dead. And there's Gideon, whose story kind of ends badly. If you read the story of Gideon, his story ends badly. But along the way, he, by faith, believed God that he would be able to accomplish something that could not have been accomplished under his own power, namely to defeat a large army with just a few hand-picked soldiers. And there was Joseph, who by faith believed God's promise of a promised land. He believed it so much that generations and generations before the people of Israel were rescued out of Egypt, Joseph gave instructions to his descendants of what to do with his bones when they were taken out of Egypt. Make sure you take my bones with you to the promised land. There are 16 named people in the hall of faith. And then there's a reference to the end, or at the end, to more that we don't really know how many more, but it's 16 plus. And the author of Hebrews at the beginning of chapter 12 calls this a great cloud of witnesses. So when you think of a cloud of witnesses, I want you to imagine like a giant multitude of people. Now, I don't know about you, but 16 plus doesn't really seem like a giant multitude, right? But I think that you would agree with me that throughout history, there have been many who have lived for the kingdom of God. Many times they have died for the kingdom of God, and they have served as examples for us of how to follow hard after God's call. And there are people in this room that also are a part of that great cloud of witnesses because the Lord has been faithful to us in our lives and we serve as examples to others and encourage one another in our walk. So with that cloud of witnesses, this great number of people encouraging us, let's move on from the therefore. Hebrews 12 uh, verse one and two says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Kind of the, the continuation from last week and really from the end of chapter 10 is this idea of 
endurance. That's the same airport I was referring to at the beginning. As we start to land this plane, we're coming back to this same thing called endurance, which the author of Hebrews has been preaching since the beginning. If you remember all the way back to Hebrews 2, so this would have been back in January, Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this, therefore, there's another one, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Do you hear in there, he doesn't use the word endure, but do you hear the call to endure? He says, we got to be careful not to drift away. That sounds like endurance to me. And it makes sense that he would be pushing this all through this sermon, because if you remember, this is, he's writing to an audience that is under duress. These are people who are uh, from a Jewish culture who have become Christians and are suffering because of it. So starting in chapter 10, think of the author of Hebrews as almost like a motivational speaker, right? He's like doing everything he can to encourage us to press on. And he's given us all these examples of people who have done great things by faith. And he's saying, stay the course, don't drift, right? He's trying to give us as much motivation as we possibly can. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he lays out a formula for running with endurance. And the formula is this, laying aside plus looking ahead equals running with endurance. Keep the formula up there. But just as a reminder as to where that comes from, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, that's the end part, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, perfecter of our faith. That's the formula. Now, I don't wanna spend a ton of time on these first couple of verses because there's, some, there's kind of some new material I wanna to get to. We've been, you've been hearing this idea of endurance for a while, and I wanna get into the new material, but I think it's important to lay down a couple of reminders before we get into the new stuff. First thing is, races are hard. That's why we keep hearing this idea of endurance in reference to a race. Races are hard, but it is a beautiful thing that we are even in the race at all. Isn't that good? It is a beautiful thing that we are even in the race at all. Um, last week we were, we were talking about, uh, David was talking about difficulties. This week the new material we're gonna be getting to is, is about discipline. And those two things, difficulties and discipline, are not exactly topics that at least on the surface we would think are like all sunshine and roses, right? <laughs> those are kind of not fun things to think about and talk about. But they're part of a race whose entry fee we could never have afforded even if we wanted to pay it. And we didn't wanna pay it. But we are in a race by the goodness of God. Listen to this, these are Jesus's words in John chapter six. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So no one comes 
to him unless the Father draws him. So by the goodness of God, we are in this difficult race. But the other good news is that every race has a finish line. Every race has a finish line. The second reminder is this, and it comes from the, the middle part of that formula. We need to set our eyes on Jesus, looking ahead to that unshakable kingdom, and more specifically, the king of that kingdom. Uh, two summers ago, my oldest daughter, Stella, and I uh, went on a hike to the top of this mountain. Anybody know what that is? That's Half Dome in Southern California in Yosemite National Park. The top of it is at 8,846 feet. Uh, it's a 17-mile round-trip hike to get to the top, and from bottom to top, you gain over 4,800 feet of elevation. It is exhausting. And I don't know about you, but um, I don't know if you've thought this, but most people, when they meet me for the first time, their, their first word that comes to mind isn't usually athlete, right? Like I'm not particularly fit. I'm 47 years old and I'm not athletic. So getting to the top of that thing was exhausting. It was the most tired I've ever been in my life. In fact, one time when we were about two thirds of the way up to the top, we're going through this forest and we had to sit down for one of our many rests. And I was sitting on a log on one side of the path and Stella was sitting on a log on the other side of the path. And I pulled a bottle of water out of my backpack and tossed it to her. And it wasn't a particularly good throw. So she missed it and it fell on the path and rolled just out of reach. We're talking like just out of reach, but downhill. And we both looked at each other like, you get it. I'm not getting it. I'm not going back downhill at all. <laughs> it wasn't worth getting. I mean, we, it was so tiring that we had to set for ourselves shorter goals. We had the goal to get to the top, but it, along the way, we got so exhausted that we would say, all right, when we start out again, we just need to get to that stump that we can see in the next part of the path. And then once we got even more tire, tired, all right, now we just need to take 15 more steps before our next rest. And sometimes we met those goals and sometimes we didn't. We had to stop and take more rest. But we knew that at some point we were going to get above the tree line and the views were going to be spectacular and worth all the effort. And so we kept pressing forward and eventually we made it to above the tree line and to the top and the views were spectacular and, and worth it. The point of that is this. In the race that we have been put in, our goal, the focus that we want to keep our eyes on, is Jesus and his unshakable kingdom. And the worth of Jesus is so far beyond any effort to gain or accomplish any goal that we could set for ourselves in this place. His worth is far beyond getting to the top of that. He made that which blows my mind. And he's the perfect example of someone who sets a goal and then endures things to reach it because he had a goal. Listen to this, back in verse two, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the goal that was set before Jesus was this joy. That's what he was aiming at, for the joy that was set before him. And to get there, he had to endure unimaginable suffering on a cross and unimaginable shame. But he counted it all as worth it to get to the joy. And the reward was being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is for us the perfect example of endurance. And the third reminder, which comes from that formula, is this, the laying aside of weight and sin. When Stella and I hiked up that mountain, we carried with us backpacks. Um, they were heavy. <laughs> they had all kinds of things in them that made them heavy. Lots of provisions in that backpack. Now, when we would rest, if you've, if you've ever done any hiking with a backpack, you can probably imagine this feeling as I'm saying it. When we would rest and pull those backpacks off, you know, like the, your back gets like suddenly cold and your right here gets cold because of all the sweat, you know, that's now been exposed to the air. And you feel like you could just float right off that trail. Like the burden that comes off your back, it just feels so good. How much better and easier and more enjoyable would that hike have been if we did not have that weight that we had to carry? Now, some of you probably noticed that I said that those backpacks were filled with provision. And so we needed to carry those backpacks. And we'll get, I'm gonna use that as an example later on. We'll get back to that. But the idea here is not just the carrying of any weight, but it's the carrying of unnecessary weight. Like we needed those backpacks, but how ridiculous would it have been when we started that hike at six o'clock in the morning if Stella had put on her backpack and then picked up like a load of lumber on her shoulder and started carrying it up the trail? You know, like going up 4,800 feet with a big bunch of two by fours on her shoulder. It's, the thought is ridiculous. Nobody would do that because it was unnecessary weight. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is, Carrying this extra baggage is crazy. Get rid of it. Get rid of the things that distract you and weigh you down from reaching the goal. And that idea of laying this stuff aside is a thousand times more important when what we're laying down is sin. Because sin entangles and it stops progress. And so the reminders, if you could put the formula back up, the reminders are that in order to endure, we need to lay aside this extra baggage, the stuff that gets in our way and distracts and entangles us. And we need to set our goal in the right place. The kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom who is far above anything in this place. And if we can do those two things, the result will be running with endurance. So that's the connecting piece from what we've heard the past two weeks, from the end of chapter 10 and in chapter 11, that call to endurance. The call to endure is to follow the example of Christ while a cloud of witnesses encourages us on in the race by their examples of following the example of Christ. Christ is the ultimate example. 
And if you remember what David reminded us of last week is that as we run this race, we're to run it by faith. We're to run it by faith. And faith, he said, and I thought this was such a good definition. It's just such a good way of thinking about faith. Faith was believing and living as if we are in the process of receiving his promises. Let me say that again. Faith is believing and living as if we are in the process of receiving the promises. And as we do that, as we endure by faith, the Lord will sustain us along the way. And that sustenance comes from the next part, which is the new material for this week in chapter 12. That sustenance comes from discipline. Discipline. That's something that we don't always love to think about in relation to ourselves. So the next section is called this. Discipline is a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. All right? Now, before we get into this, I want to I just wonder if you think of the word discipline in the same way that I thought about it for years and years. For a long time, when I would hear that word discipline, I associated it pretty much exactly with the word punishment. Okay, anybody willing to admit that they think of discipline like that? Discipline, in my mind, was the same as punishment. In other words, I screw up, I'm disciplined or punished in some way, Hopefully, from that discipline, I learn not to behave in that way again. And then I screw up again, and I get disciplined, and I hopefully learn from my mistakes, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Or even the kind of discipline or punishment that comes instantaneously. Think about sticking something in an electrical socket, all right, that you shouldn't stick in an electrical socket, right? Stick your finger in an electrical socket, you get some immediate feedback immediate discipline that tells you that that's a bad idea, all right? It hurts. And so you hopefully learn, don't ever do that again. Well, both of those things are a kind of discipline. That is a real kind of discipline. But it's not the only kind of discipline. And I'm not even convinced that it's the kind of discipline that we're talking about in chapter 12. There's a different kind of discipline that comes even when there's no offense from us. It's not a reaction to us screwing up. It's a discipline that is happening because we all lack something that we need. We have ways in which there is room for improvement, right? I mean, that's true of all of us. And so in order for us to become better, in order for us to be more like Jesus, we need discipline. In other words, when we are traversing this life and we are being sanctified by the Lord, which He has promised to do for us, discipline is sometimes going to be because we behaved badly. And sometimes, oftentimes, discipline is going to be the result of the Lord's promise to be faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. Because he made that promise. He began a good work in us and he will be faithful to bring it to completion. And so we must be disciplined. And I'm pretty sure as we read through chapter 12, 
that this is the kind of discipline we're talking about. And it starts when, when the author of Hebrews gets into this issue of discipline, he does a very, something that we're becoming very familiar with, and that is he points us to Jesus. He says, consider Jesus. So if you're following along, look to verse 3 and 4 of Hebrews 12. He says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, like I said before, look to Jesus because he is the ultimate encouragement. We have the ultimate example of endurance in Jesus. He suffered and he endured more than we will ever have to. And there's a promise in those two verses that you could almost miss. There's a promise in there. Listen what it says. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that, so that there's a result of considering Jesus. What is the result? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Weary is being tired, right? We've all experienced that. Tired from continuous input, tired from... Uh, continuous stimulation, tired from continuous effort or work. Notice I didn't say tired from continuous difficulties, although that is sometimes a thing. But sometimes we just get tired from serving the kingdom and doing the things that he's called us to because we're human beings and we get tired. And faint-hearted is just another way, way of saying afraid of what might happen. We, don't, we can't see what is coming. And so sometimes we fear what is coming. But what we're learning from this passage is that if we consider Jesus who endured so much, it can have a real, tangible, measurable effect to remove or prevent weariness and fear. Considering Jesus can have a tangible effect on reducing or removing weariness and fear. Isn't that a good thing? Now, some of you are probably like, I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure I've experienced that. And that's okay if you're feeling that way. But here would be my challenge to you. Put that to the test. Put that to the test with whatever is going on in your life. I love that Donna came up and shared this morning about her experiences this week because what she shared was exactly what I'm hoping you will do. And that is seek him first. Look to him. Put it to the test and see what happens. See what he will do. And there's more. If we jump ahead to Hebrews 12, chapter 12, or verse 12 and 13, it says this, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's talking about enduring again without actually using the word endurance. Instead, he's saying things like, 
lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths. Has anybody in here watched um, The Chosen? Has anybody chosen watchers? I don't know if you remember this, but um, early on in The Chosen, they were talking about uh, John the Baptist and they referenced the, the making straight of paths. Anybody remember that? But it was, it was a really great example because what they said in this, it was a television show, but it, it was interesting to me the way they illustrated this. They talked about uh, making paths straight, which was really just like clearing the way, getting stuff out of the way, repairing the roads, making sure that it was smooth sailing for someone who was traveling through. And so I think what the author of Hebrews is saying here is do the work, endure, okay? Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your knees and make straight the paths. Do the work that it takes to endure. And what will the result be? Well, the result will be not that lame things will be made worse. Rather, as we put the effort into enduring, the result will be healing. The result will be strengthening. The result will be spiritual growth. And this all comes from this call to consider Jesus, to look to him, to follow his example. Now, back to the discipline thing, because all of that looking to Jesus is a setup for understanding what it is that we're talking about when we get into discipline. And that brings us to the next point. We are loved as God's children. We are loved as God's children. I think everyone here recognizes that children need discipline, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> we recognize that children need discipline. If we have children in our lives, whether they're our own children or they're our nieces and nephews or they're students or they're kids you teach in Kids Cove or whatever, we know that children need discipline. Discipline helps kids uh, it keeps them from harming themselves and harming others because they don't have a frame of reference for how to behave in certain situations. So discipline is required to help them navigate situations. And parents in particular have a charge that comes from the Lord that's very serious to raise their children in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. And if we are God's children... If he loves us as children, which he does, then we are in the same position as all those kids in our lives who we know need discipline. We need it too. Amen? We need discipline because we are God's children. Here's what he says in verse 5 and 6 of Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do you see that those, that ends in quotations? He's saying, do you remember this? And then he quotes Proverbs 3. It's verse 11 and 12 of Proverbs 3. And I love that he does this because remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. So they would have been very familiar with this passage from Proverbs. In fact, I can just see like the collective eye roll 
when they heard this because this was probably what all of their parents said to them right before they got grounded, you know, or disciplined. When they were kids, their parents were probably like, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You know what I mean? Like they probably heard this so many times. And the author of Hebrews is reminding them of it. He's quoting Proverbs. I would love it if you made a note this week as your homework to read Proverbs 3. It's not a long passage. In fact, it would be really great if you read it every day. Read it every day and feast on the good things that are in there when you see how the Lord regards us as his children. It would be a great topic for discussion at fellowship groups too. So we're going to move on, keep talking about discipline. We're going to pick this up in verse 7. And if you're following along, you're going to notice that I skip the very first sentence of verse 7. Don't worry, I'm coming back to it. But if you're following, we're going to jump right into the middle of verse 7. It says this, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Now, we have to recognize when we're in a group of this size in the year 2022 and we read that passage, we gotta recognize, especially as it refers to earthly fathers, that probably not everyone in this room had an earthly father in their life or, or at least not all of the time, okay? And the other thing we have to recognize is even if we did have earthly fathers in our lives, we likely did not have earthly fathers who disciplined us well all of the time. Sometimes, for some of you, you had earthly fathers who didn't discipline you well any of the time, okay? And, and so it's hard to make this association depending on your past experiences, but what I love about this passage is that the author of Hebrews doesn't avoid that. He kind of embraces the fact that earthly fathers are not perfect like our heavenly father. Did you hear him say, um, did you hear him say, uh, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, as it seemed best to them. It's almost like he's saying, you and I both know that they didn't get it right all the time. All right, And that's even when they were trying to get it right, and a lot of times they weren't even trying to get it right. Okay, They were doing what seemed best to them in the moment. So for the dads in the room, I want you to remember, and, and I need this is a reminder for me, I want you to remember that there's forgiveness in Jesus for the times that we failed our kids. And I would also encourage you to seek forgiveness from your kids and from your wives because the mistakes that we've made as dads with our kids have affected not only our kids but it's affected our wives too so just a side encouragement um, as we talk about this idea of 
fathers and specifically earthly fathers. But here's the thing. Our heavenly father, he gets it right all the time. His discipline is always, always good. And the result of his discipline isn't just modified behavior. It isn't knowing how to work the system right. It isn't figuring out how to do something differently the next time so that you don't get caught, all right? Because that is a lot of times the result of earthly discipline because we're fallen people and we work our way around things to get what we want. But the result of his discipline is real change. It's real change. The end of that scripture says, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Well, I don't know about you, but I'll take that, okay? I'll take that. The promise of real change, even at the cost of discipline, is worth it to me. If you're a, if you're a Christian who has ever struggled with sin, which another way of saying that is if you're a Christian, okay, this is an unbelievable promise that the discipline of the Lord brings about real change, not just surface change, but real from the deepest part, real change. And we should welcome that even when the cost feels hard in discipline. All right. Let's move on to the next point. This one is fascinating to me. Just a side note, when you're studying scripture, I would encourage you to study scripture like you have to teach it to someone, even if you're not gonna teach it to someone. Like take notes like you've gotta explain this to someone. It's unbelievable what you learn when you're trying to teach somebody else. Um, The next point is this, endurance is for discipline is for endurance. Endurance is for discipline is for endurance. This is where we're going to go back to the beginning of verse 7, verse 7a. Now, depending on what Bible you're holding in your hand, what version it is, uh, the beginning of verse 7 could look very different. In fact, it's kind of fun if you have a Bible app or if you want to get online sometime and look up one of the many Bible websites where you can look up verses. Go to Hebrews 12, 7. And read what it says and then change the version a bunch of times and see how it alters it, okay? So here are some examples that you might read in your Bible depending on the version that you have. In the New uh, International Version, it says, endure hardship as discipline. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it says, endure suffering as discipline. In the King James Version, it says, if ye endure chastening. And in the New Living Translation, it says, as you endure this divine discipline. I think all of those things are true, but do you hear, do you hear in those versions that the hardship itself is the discipline? And we should understand that that hardship that we're enduring as discipline is for our good and the Lord's glory. Do you hear that in there? Well, that's good if you hear it because I don't think that's untrue. I think those are true statements. But check this out. If you have an ESV, it looks a little different and it might be subtle. But in the ESV, it says, it is for discipline 
that you have to endure. Similarly, in the New American Standard Bible, it says this, it is for discipline that you endure. I could be splitting hairs, but it seems to me that like in there, the discipline is the point of endurance. Instead of like, I know this hardship, this discipline is a good thing. I know it's good, but it also kind of hurts. And wouldn't it be great if we could just avoid it? Like that's what it sounds to me in the other versions. But instead, rather, discipline is the point in, of endurance. It is something that we should seek after. Discipline is something to be pursued. We endure so that we may be disciplined. And in being disciplined, we gain a greater capacity for endurance. And so we endure so that we can be disciplined, so that we can endure, so that we can be disciplined. Maybe it's, it's just me, but that feels a lot different. Feels a lot different when you think of discipline as something to pursue. Now, the look on some of your faces is like, you're crazy, man. Like that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound like something I wanna do. And, and again, that's okay if you feel that way. I've often not felt that way, but my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we would seek after his discipline, that it would be something that is like a prize for us because the result is real change, his holiness. It may sound crazy the way I just pictured it, but you're more familiar with seeking after discipline than you may think. Um, You've probably heard me quote a friend of mine before who, who often has said in her life, pursuit is the proof of desire. We've all, we can all think of examples in our own life of something that we wanted, something that we desired, something that we were willing to work for. And so we pursue it. And that pursuit is often hard. You know, there are things that we have to do, work we have to accomplish, things that we have to basically suffer through in order to reach the goal that we desire and are willing to put up with all that stuff in order to achieve that goal. And all of that stuff we're putting up with is a kind of discipline that we go through to reach that goal. So it's not an unfamiliar concept to us. We voluntarily take on discipline to achieve something that we want. Do you remember I said earlier that Stella and I were carrying those backpacks? And I, I told you I was gonna return to that, that picture. The picture of us carrying those backpacks, it, it's helpful to me anyway. It's a picture of this cyclical endurance and discipline and endurance and discipline because carrying them was hard. Carrying them was hard. But we chose to do it because inside those backpacks was water, was sandwiches, was the best tasting sun chips you've ever had in your entire life. There were medical supplies, there were flashlights, there were walkie talkies, there was climbing gear, there was changes of socks, there was all kinds of stuff that we needed in, on that hike. It was filled with provision that was absolutely necessary. So as we planned for that hike, we willingly took on the discipline of carrying that weight 
because we knew it was 100% necessary. We could not have done it without it. But the picture gets even better when you realize that every time we stopped and we drew from the provision of that backpack, every time we opened a bottle of water, every time we had a protein bar, we not only were more energized and prepared for the next leg, like we were, we were built up and ready to endure more, but not only that, our load got lighter. Our load got lighter. Now, that didn't always mean that it was easier because the path was sometimes steeper at times, and it didn't matter whether our load was completely light. It was going to be hard no matter what. But the burden we were bearing was more bearable as we disciplined ourselves and drew from the provision of that discipline. It was 100% necessary. Without the weight of that provision that we carried, without that discipline, we would have had to turn back. There would have been no way we would have made it to the top. And that brings us to the last point, which is really the title. Remember I told you we were gonna keep the title as the unshakable kingdom because it was gonna be the thing we fix our eyes on all the way through. And so the last point is this. Our goal is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our goal is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. This sermon that the author of Hebrews wrote was to a Jew Jewish audience. And for them, the law of Moses, the law that was received by Moses on Mount Sinai, would have been front and center to everything in their culture, okay? The, that moment on Mount Sinai would have been familiar to all of them and probably revered as perhaps the most important moment in history when God came down to the mountain and gave the law to Moses. And the author of Hebrews comes along and says to them, that moment that you revere so much, it's nothing compared to what's coming. It is nothing compared to what's coming. And I'm not gonna read through it all, but after addressing this issue of what happened at Mount Sinai and how the Israelites were not able they were not allowed to even come near the mountain. They weren't allowed. They couldn't do it because they would not have been able to bear it and God in his perfect holiness would not have allowed it because of their sin. They could not have come to the mountain. After kind of reminding them of that, he says this. This is verses 22 through 24 and then we're gonna to jump to 28 and 29. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Doesn't that sound like an amazing kingdom? Something that we should pursue with everything that we have? And in the middle of the forest of all of that beautiful picture of this kingdom, there's one giant tree that I don't want you to miss. 
They were not allowed to come near that mountain because God's presence was there and they could not be in God's presence. But we in this unshakable forever kingdom, we are welcome into his presence because there will be no sin. If there was still sin, this couldn't be true. We could not be in his presence. But there will be no sin there and we will be with him. The attraction in that kingdom is Jesus himself. You've probably heard, you've probably heard of this concept of the already not yet. The already not yet. In other words, some examples, we're already in the kingdom of God, but we're not yet physically in the kingdom of God. We're already washed clean of our sins. Jesus sees us as righteous if we have believed and trusted in him for salvation, but we still struggle to put sin to death every day. That's why, because we're in this already not yet, that's why we're in this cycle of enduring to get to discipline, to get to endurance, to get to discipline. Some of you are familiar with uh, the homeschool co-op learning tree and they do a musical every year and there's a musical coming up the week after Easter. It's called Pilgrim Her Story and it's based on John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And throughout that story, Pilgrim has a goal. Pilgrim's always moving toward a goal. And the goal is the celestial city, right? The celestial city. That's the kingdom that we're talking about in Hebrews 12. It's this kingdom where there's no sin, no sickness, no pain, no discipline, no more enduring because there's no need for it. There's no need for discipline and no need for enduring. So why don't we have the worship team come up and as the worship team's preparing to lead us in a final song, I wanna encourage you to be like pilgrim. Be like pilgrim. Keep your eyes on that kingdom and the king of that kingdom. Rodney said this this morning. All three people who shared at the mic this morning, I think had a, a secret window into my notes, it seems. Because Rodney said that this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God. And as you do that, at times, there are going to be rough patches as we enter into this sought-after discipline. But remember that in all of that, God is in it. All right, that's what Debbie shared from Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. C.S. Lewis famously said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. So my last encouragement to you is this, listen to him shouting. Listen to him shouting. He will shout of his love for you as his child and he shouts of his faithfulness always to his promises concerning you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing to our worthy God. Lord Jesus we ask for your help now at the end of this service as we did at the beginning, Lord. Help us to have changed hearts by your life-giving word. Help us go, go, to go out of here seeking after your kingdom, Lord. Help us to recognize that we need your discipline and that your discipline comes to us because you love us as your children. Remind us of that love moment by moment, Lord. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.